0: Welcome to the Game
1: Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can even earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome our host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice
0: Game Changer. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Uh, hello out there, hope you're doing OK in your world. Hope things are uh, staying safe where you are with uh, Omicron seeming everywhere. Uh, certainly in my world, uh, that, that's where it's been. We, we got tons of people, who even fully vaccinated, who unfortunately, as of the re- this recording, are, are uh, getting a little bit sick, but again, uh, not super sick uh, when they're vaccinated, and that's always good to see. Hopefully, again, where you're at, things are going OK. Thanks for joining us, as always. Uh, if you're are new to uh, to Game Changers. It's a podcast that every week we try to talk about some area of pharmacotherapy that impacts uh, a large group of providers and pharmacists, and we always try to have some experts on when uh, I don't know the, all the answers, which is frequently, and uh, this uh, this week we are fortunate to have that. Um, if you are a longtime listener, again, uh, welcome as well. Today uh, we're going to stay things in, in ID, but we are not going to uh, talk about COVID, hopefully for a while, that would be okay by me, but we are going to talk about HIV, and uh, I will I will absolutely start this with a disclaimer that I'm old enough to remember the bad old days of HIV. I'm, you know, I'd, I'd come out of school with my bachelor's in pharmacy in, in the early 1990s, very early 1990s, and, you know, we were seeing the tail end of the HIV, you know, epidemic, and I mean, it's still an epidemic, but we were seeing the really bad cases that, you know, the cases where we didn't have good antiretroviral therapy, and, and it was just heartbreaking in, in many cases to see these patients, and we've come so far, obviously, in this, and I, I always tell my students that whenever I, I get too, too depressed, about humanity and where we're going, especially in the last couple of years, I always remind myself that, you know, we can do incredible things. And one of those things we've managed to do is basically turn HIV from a death sentence into where patients are essentially living normal lives. And it's due to to the incredible pharmacotherapy that we've developed. And it's just incredible. But of course, with that, there comes some of the issues that we're going to see in patients who are basically living normal lives with antiretroviral therapy, and one of them is weight gain. And so to help me talk a little bit about this in a recent paper that did, I think, a very, very good job examining some of the issues surrounding weight changes in in antiretroviral therapy is David Hatchie, a PharmD. He's a professor of family medicine at my old uh, stomping grounds where I got my PharmD at Idaho State University. So uh, Dave, welcome to Game Changers. You can tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I am a professor of family medicine, but I did get my PharmD in the mid-90s, graduated University of Rhode Island in, in 1998 where you're exactly right. It was just at that switch of having some good antiretroviral therapy to begin to reduce mortality in patients living with HIV. And after graduating, I came out to Idaho State University, where I spent two years doing residency and fellowship and kind of fell into HIV accidentally, where we were caring for people returning home to live, you know, the end of their lives. But as new antiretroviral therapy came out, they started living longer And became the sort of chronic disease model, which fit very well with family medicine. And I've been within the Department of Family Medicine teaching pharmacotherapy residents, family medicine residents, pharmacy students, PA students, all allied health. And with that, HIV has also taken me globally, where uh, I have a strong interest in global health and faculty position at University of Namibia, and have seen the rollout of the drugs that we're using here in other countries. So. It has been a privilege to be part of a changing landscape over the last 20 years, and hopefully we'll see more pharmacotherapy changes that continue to influence people living with HIV in the future.
0: I I agree. And so, yeah, uh, thank you. And that's, I mean, it sounds like you had an incredible career and I'm glad to hear that. And obviously an expert in this field. So, so again, we appreciate you spending your time here on on the podcast. So, so the paper that we are going to talk about today is from the uh, open forum infectious diseases, which is an IDSA kind of open forum journal. It's an online journal. And it was an editor's choice paper entitled excess weight gain with integrase inhibitors and tenofovir Alphenamide. What is the mechanism and does it matter? And again, the point of this is not to give a, do a deep dive into HIV therapy or anything along those lines. We're very cognizant of the fact that it can get very, you know, head spinning when you talk about all the different therapies out there and stuff like that. But what we're going to talk about is the fact that, again, these people are essentially going to have completely normal lifespans. And if that's the case, you know, weight gain is something they're going to be concerned about. Obviously, weight gain can lead down the road to metabolic problems, diabetes, dyslipidemia, stuff like that. And so the question becomes, you know, with all the incredible therapies we have out there, does that play a role in the decision-making process of keeping somebody on antiretroviral therapy or switching them? And so that's what this review article kind of discusses. And it's a, it's a pretty good review article. We'll, we'll have the link uh, to it in the uh, show notes as well. So as you everyone knows, I think, you know, modern uh, antiretroviral therapy as of 2022, of course, this changes, as you guys know, is typically anchored by strand transfers inhibitors or INSTEs, as they point out in the paper, at least in, in the last several years have been dolutegravir and 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 Bictegravir. So those are are, are two of the uh, integrase strand transfers inhibitors that that are, are commonly used. The reason they're used is because they have a higher durability, they have a lower rate of virologic therapy, and seem to be pretty well tolerated as well. And then there's a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor or NRTI backbone that is part of that therapy as well and often includes uh, tenofovir. Now, of course, one of the things that gets my head spinning as just a regular, just, you know, Joe pharmacist is, you know, there's there's two big salts of tenofovir right out, out there and they are significantly different. And so you have tenofovir alphenamide, which is, which is what's commonly used, but there's also another tenofovir that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. And so, you know, again, for me, that kind of gets my head spinning. But that's what we're going we're gonna to help make uh, sense of all this as we kind of go along here. So one of the things that has been noticed and kind of an unforeseen phenomenon that's emerged with these contemporary regimens has been weight gain. Now, again, I'm an old man. I, I remember, again, a lot of these patients back in the early 90s were very thin, right? I mean, they were wasting, you know, the fact there was whole studies done on weight loss and, and, and wasting that, that it was associated with AIDS. And I think a lot of this was thought, well, gee, you know, we're treating their HIV, they're, they're essentially either immune system back to normal, they're just returning to health. That's, you know, this, it, it is an excess weight gain, it's just that they're getting back to where they were before. But there's some recent evidence that suggests that that's, that may or may not be in, in, in the case. And in fact, the drugs that we use may in fact actually cause ag- exaggerated uh, weight gain. And so the purpose of this paper was to kind of take a look at these common therapies. So again, both the instees as well as tenofovir alphenamide, which uh, for the purposes of uh, this, I'm just gonna call TAF, T-A-F, that's what in the paper, that's the thing they use for that. So, you know, I might kind of switch back and forth just to make things easier. And so we have to say that big mouthful all the time. So the paper kind of says, well, since these are kind of the two big therapies that are used for antiretroviral therapy, the big question comes then, do these drugs actually cause weight gain directly? In other words, do they actually affect increased appetite? Do they make people more hungry? Do they change adipose cells in a way that that causes weight accumulation? Or were the older therapies such as other NRTIs or drugs from the NNRTI class or protease inhibitor class, were they actually suppressing appetite or, or curbing weight accumulation? So as you might imagine, studying this is going to be kind of difficult because you know, studying weight gain and weight loss is always challenging because of the, the numerous uh, co-founders that are going on. But in this case, you know the, the question really becomes, is our modern therapies causing weight gain? Or was the older therapies we were using causing weight loss And and when we switch people to the modern standard therapies that we're using now, you know, are they just getting back to where they were before? So the purpose of this review paper was to discuss what was known about the potential mechanisms of antiretroviral-associated weight gain. And they do, I think, a very good job, especially for, again, I would consider myself very much a layman in in reading the antiretroviral uh, literature. They talk about the data from antiretroviral initiation therapy. So, you know, we're starting new antiretroviral therapy in people. They look at studies where they switched, and you might imagine those might be some of the best studies at all to find out, take a look at at strong associations. If you're on one antiretroviral therapy and we switch you and we take a look at the weight gain there, you know, that might really help us figure out what's going on. And then, of course, more recently, got PrEP trials, which uh, also can can help as well. And so they discuss that there's some studies that really give us, uh, I think, a a, a window onto what's going on here. And they really just demonstrate two principal findings. Uh, The older tenofovir formulation, which is is uh, tenofovir fumarate or tenofovir disaproxyl fumarate, also abbreviated TDF, a which is EVF, and other older anteroetherapies indeed had weight suppressive effects. And two, there are several plausible means by which the insties can cause direct weight accumulation, though none has been confirmed in, in laboratory data or anything along those lines. The paper itself has, has a, a nice algorithm you can take a look at that, you know, kind of talks about, you know, what you might want to review with your patient, you know, what what are some of the theories by which these agents may cause weight gain? Or, again, is it appetite simulation or just change in adipose tissue? So then they kind of take, take a, a deep dive into, into the papers themselves. They note that there's, you know, of course, there's there's got to be at this point, hundreds of studies out there, looking at various antiretroviral initiation therapies. They discuss a couple of them, and they note that studies that have looked at ART initiation with tenofovir, with tenofovir the TDF formulation, suppress weight gain. And in fact, yeah, they know in a, in a pooled analysis of data from eight randomized clinical trials, that the mean weight gain was was greatest with the uh, newer version of tenofovir TAF compared to the older version of tenofovir TDF, abacavir, which is again older uh, antiretroviral, and uh, the granddaddy of them all, which I suspect anyone under the age of forty has probably heard of in history books but never actually seen, which is zidovudine or AZT, which again, you know, we haven't used for for thirty five or forty years. So uh, initiation of TF was associated with with an elevated likelihood of greater than ten percent weight gain compared with these other therapies. So uh, again, uh, an old man like me, uh, you you uh, you you. If you're under age forty, you might not even uh, have heard of AZT outside of history books. I actually remember when it was used. We of course don't use that anymore. So what, what they note in, in initiation ART studies is that is that um, the newer version of tenofovir. Uh, is associated with an elevated weight gain, whereas these older regimens, especially the way older regimens like AZT or are not associated with it in different pairwise comparisons. Now, again, the question is why? It, we know for a fact that the older drugs had mitochondrial toxicity. In fact, that was the, the, the problem with the, the way big litany of side effects those drugs had. So is that the, the issue? Is it just gastrointestinal effects? Again, that was a notorious set of side effects with the older uh, HIV medications that just don't seem to be seen very much and that just led to reduce appetite. So they don't know the answer to that question, but they, they point out that there's a number of plausible reasons why the older medications may be associated with weight loss and the newer drugs associated with weight gain. They talk about another study reviewing where they looked at a number of, of combo ARV uh, regimens in treatment naive patients, and again found that changes to mitochondrial function consistently and inversely correlated with gains in subcutaneous and visceral abdominal fat based on several imaging studies. So again, pointing out that mitochondrial toxicity very well may lead, to weight loss as, as it is anyway. And then they say that numerous ART switch trials demonstrate an increase in weight after a switch to an alternate NRTI to, tenof- to the newer version of tenofir TAF, though they don't, again, address the question of, of, of mechanism. They also point out a couple of, of studies that are more recent, the Tango study where individuals with suppressed viral loads taking TAF in a three-based drug regimen were enrolled and randomized to continue their current regimen or switch to another regimen. And after three years, the adjusted mean weight loss from baseline was not statistically significant between the two arms, suggesting that dropping TAF from a regimen does not necessarily lead to substantial change in weight, and that TAF is relatively weight neutral. And they know that though the two groups had similar weight trajectories, patients who continued TAF did have higher lipid parameters. So there may be some problems as far as dyslipidemia. And finally, they talk about PrEP studies, uh, again, which is a a relatively new frontier in in the treatment and prevention of HIV. In the DISCOVER study, they note that patients who are randomized to TDF, the older version of, of tenofovir, or TAF, the newer version, they found that there was a statistically significant difference in weight gain, about one kilogram in the TAF group versus is no change in the TDF group. So that's kind of the, the tenofovir arm of, of the review. And then the next part of this of the review, they talk about the integrase strand transverse inhibitors or INSTIs. They talk about that data has demonstrated that there is a excess weight gain that's associated with again the newer medications that we've talked about. So TDG and BIC have, have, have both been associated with that. Fewer studies have demonstrated an association with, with retalgavir or Elgatricavir and cobistat, in which they have again all these all these uh, abbreviations for. <laughs> Several analyses have found that individuals that are born female tend to have a greater, greater likelihood of weight gain than those who are or born male. Now, interestingly, the, the, and I thought this was, again, maybe just because this is the part I could understand the best in the review, is that they note that pharmacogenetics may actually play an answer to INST uh, causing weight gain. They note that, again, these newer INSTs may be associated with weight gain or perhaps the older one, which, again, even I remember when a was used a ton, antiretroviral therapies, and it's just not used as much anymore might be associated with suppressing weight. And they note, in particular, efavirenz is metabolized through cytochrome P452B6. And like all cytochrome P450 pathways, there are polymorphisms there. And so some patients are slow metabolizers, some people are extensive metabolizers, et cetera, et cetera. And so in patients who have a loss of function polymorphism, they don't metabolize efavirenz well, and so they have much higher levels. And they found a study that actually suggested that that in, in patients who are receiving efavirenz and about 300 24 patients, that these 2B6 metabolizer genotypes significantly influenced likelihood of weight gain while taking efavirenz. So, extensive metabolizers, so people who are metabolizing at normal or even hyper metabolizing efavirenz actually gain similar amount of weight to the control medication, whereas those who are or poor metabolizers gain more weight. So, that's kind of interesting. And again, one of the areas where pharmacogenomics and pharmacogenetics may help us play kind of a role in things as, as time goes on. So, their constellation of findings basically found that, it, that the weight gain mechanisms are probably different for the NSTs compared to the newer tenofovir TAF for the that There are several plausible biological mechanisms that have been proposed, but we don't know which one for sure. So they kind of wrap up the paper suggesting that we have some clinical evidence suggesting that both the newer NSTs as well as the newer form of tenofovir TAF are associated with weight gain, more probably so than the older medications are associated with weight loss. So there, there's probably a net increase in weight in weight gain. So then the big question comes up well, okay, so if, if you know I have a patient coming to me who has HIV who says, hey, I've been gaining tons of weight. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm eating the same amount, et cetera, et cetera. And now you find, well, gee, they may be at risk for diabetes and dyslipidemia and hypertension and all the other things associated with weight gain. What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? And, and I think as more and more patients you know, have HIV and are living normal lives, you know, I don't think we're gonna expect ID doctors to handle all this. I think that's, that's, that's probably not going to happen. And so I think what's probably gonna happen is they're going to go to their primary care physicians. And I think in, in, in some cases, ambulatory care pharmacists with expertise in this, and they're going to want to see well, what do we do. That's where I think the boots on the ground, you know, primary care physicians and pharmacists can really play a role. So that all kind of being being kind of where we're at with this, and this foot dollar question is what do we how do we operationalize this information? And that's where Dr. Hatchie comes in. And so Dave, you know, I've, I've kind of blathered on now for like 10 or 15 minutes, what did you think of this paper in first, you know, I'm sure you you have insights that I'm just, too dumb to figure out. And, and so you'll, you'll you'll give us the good insights. But more importantly, how do you operationalize this? Well, you know, where, where where do we go with this?
1: First off, I think you did a wonderful job with this, especially with the pronunciation of the drugs. That's where we always get sort of tripped up and stumbled. And it's why HIV sometimes is a little bit of a problem. But in the big picture, I I think what this paper really does is it sheds light and begins to make sense of a problem that's been creeping in in lots of uh, areas of of HIV. It's kind of like a puzzle if you think about it. We have all these trials of this one says this and this one says that, but they never really give you the full picture. And most of the time we we, we will sometimes poo-poo review articles, but I think in a really sort of complex, multifactorial, confounding, as you said, issue when you look at weight gain in literature, this really did a great job of balancing the evidence and giving us some perspective. And so now what we can do is we can take this information to the level of the patient. And just as I think to some perspective, in, in our clinic of, of nearly 200 patients, we have 90% of our patients on either diutegravir or bictegravir formulations. And of those, 270% are on a tenofovir alafenamide regimen. And because where I practice, most of these patients have moved into the area, we have switched them to newer regimens as guidelines change to say, these are the best agents at managing HIV. So as we follow the guidelines, and the guidelines pretty much recommend either a Bictegravir or Dolutegravir-based regimen for first-line antiretroviral therapy. And when we look at that, that's going to be a large population here at the local level. And I think that some of the takeaway at the patient level of the interaction is, first of all, providing them the education, making them aware. These drugs do have some association that there may be some associated weight gain. And it's not just the drug. We need to look at the whole patient as well. We need to look at healthy lifestyles. We know patients living with HIV tend to be marginalized, tend to have higher rates of substance use disorder, homelessness, other things compared to patients not living with HIV. Right. And when when we pull in some of the context, we talk about healthy lifestyles, food choices, all those things, it can also, I think, make an impact. But where the data is going is now that we have this sort of puzzle put together, they can form better studies to investigate this question of what can we do about it because just changing to a non integrase based regimen or a non TAF regimen doesn't, you know, melt weight away or fat away. Right. And, and that's part of the conversation and shared decision-making we have at the level of the patient is to say, these are our options. We can switch to something that may be, as you said, Jeff, less potent or less durable, maybe more drug interactions, more side effects, but you may see less weight gain. We can't promise that, but that may be an option. And and when we look at it, I think at the level from the US, this becomes a bigger issue because this cohort of people living near normal life expectancies, now up to 50, 60, 70, 80 years, we have octogenarians in our clinic. Is that we're seeing higher rates of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, NASH. And when we see all this, some of it you can't help but think might be related from years of exposure to the antiretrovirals. And just one small comment is also we think about, we need to think about this globally as a majority of countries in low middle income countries, sub Saharan Africa, have already started rolling out integrase strand transferase inhibitors as first-line drug therapy. So we're now seeing this on a global level where a lot of those countries have switched or are switching from efavirenz-based regimens to integrase regimens where we're probably going to see some of this
0: change in weight. Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned you've had global experience in, in rolling out some of these medications. And and I suspect that in sub-Saharan Africa in particular, you know, uh, especially compared to, let's be totally honest, the United States, type 2 diabetes is probably not as big a deal uh, in, in in those countries. So they may may actually start seeing some some of the long-term issues associated with it. That's something I hadn't thought about. So that's pretty interesting. So so in your clinic, have you had people come to you and say, you know, gee, Dr. Hatchie, I'm I've, I've gained 50 pounds. I don't know what's going on here. I mean, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I feel terrific. I read on the Internet that this is this is the drugs. What can we do about this? You know,
1: absolutely. We have had patients come in and I would say just to put it in context. And I know you didn't want to talk about COVID today, but over the last couple of years, we've been doing a lot of telehealth. We haven't been able to get a lot of good data on patients. We know that there have been other factors contributing to that with lack of mobility and isolation right. and those types of things. Right. But we, we have had several patients. We have had some come to us and then we have others that are just accepting it that, oh, I'm just gaining weight. It's part of aging. Maybe it's my thyroid. Maybe it's this. So, so from a primary care level, we do investigate all the other reasons why an individual may be gaining weight. And if there are no changes, we do talk about the drug. And again, we do have that shared decision-making of what to do and kind of looking at the data as more science, you know, emerges and evolves and is available for us to make those informed decisions. We will know what to switch to. But right now, since we don't have that, we really try to emphasize the, again, the, the healthy lifestyles. We were in hopes that maybe going to two drug regimens might resolve that. But as you highlighted from the paper, there were some studies that show that even two drug regimens necessarily, when you drop tenofovir alafenamide out, don't uh, really change the weight at all. The other thing that is going to be a little bit of a game changer is going to be the long acting injectable. We now have access to a long acting integrase inhibitor called cabotegravir, which was just put out onto the market in the last uh, few months. And it's combined with an NNRTI, Rapivirin, which has been on the market for a long time. And when we talk about these long-acting injectables, we don't quite know where this fits in either. And that once you put a drug on board that's going to be there for a year, there's really not a whole lot of going back. So, so there's going to be some challenges with that as patients come in and they talk about what they see on TV. They see ads for these right. drugs. And, uh, and so with that, that can influence some of the conversation, but it goes back to a lot of that shared decision making and identifying, I think, uh, appropriate steps forward based on what information we have
0: excellent yeah, that makes real sense so yeah I mean again as, as kind of uh, you know uh, uh, someone who's really on the outside looking in I've, I've read some stuff about these long-acting antiretroviral agents and yeah I mean again it's it's absolutely just fascinating you know that you know some 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 of the therapies that are coming to light even now you know you know 30 40 years down down the road there's a continual incremental improvement process in making people helping helping people to be adherent and helping long-term uh, durability so it's, it's it's very important to see any other issues from the paper you want to point out?
1: No, not really. Again, I I think when we talk about HIV, there are these pockets such as cardiovascular disease. We know that there's higher rates of cardiovascular disease in patients living with HIV, and it's multifactorial. There can be viral components of endothelial dysfunction. There can be drug components of increasing risk of diabetes and stuff we look at neurocognitive disease and HIV, and that is super muddy. So really, we we have these muddy areas, and it happens all throughout medicine. But in in HIV, we have these sort of muddy areas. And again, really, I think what this does is is brings into focus, is this weight strictly drug, non-drug? And it gives us, I think, a bit of a path forward, and it gives those investigating and looking at this a path forward. And it gives providers and pharmacists a bit more focused information to go to the patient at the point of the counter or uh, in the exam room and say, hey, listen, you know, we've been wondering this for a long time. And this is really what it seems like it's coming out to be. And then you can use that dialogue to set the stage for conversations about best antiretroviral.
0: Excellent. Well, like I said, that really helps. And, and I want to thank you again for taking, taking time to, to be on, on Game Changers. Um, I hope we can press upon you again to be our guest star. We'd really appreciate it. Love to. Thank you very much. All right. So that's it for this week. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thank you for listening
1: then. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes below and check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com. We curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine and then deliver it to you. Join today and
0: connect your learning to practice.